Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. My name is Adam Grabarnik, and I've been a collector since I was a child. It began with stickers, which led to comics, which led to toys, sneakers, posters, pins, wine, and on and on and on. Taking a wide angle view of my obsession for ownership, I've come to see how my collections have become intertwined with my personality and sense of identity. Speaking with other collectors on the internet and in real life, I've come to see that I'm not alone. The Running Out of Space podcast is a celebration of the spirit that unites all collectors. Because it doesn't matter if you collect paintings, watches, stamps, cars, guitars, or Barbie dolls, there is a common component within the collector themselves that transcends the object collected. Though the trophies may be different, the hunters are more similar than they know. My guest today is Marla Mogul, who holds the Guinness World Record for her collection of wind-up toys. In this world, where flexing very rare grails on the internet is the goal of a lot of collectors, it's nice to meet the real ones. And when it comes to wind-up toys, Marla is the realest on the planet. To see selects of my guests' collections, follow the show's Instagram at Running Out of Space Podcast. And now, welcome to the show, Marla Mogul. Where are you zooming in from? Uh, today, I'm zooming in from Chicago. Very nice. Is that yes. your full collection in the background, or is that that must be part yeah. of it, right? It is a very small part. My whole collection is in Los Angeles, which is where I got the world record. Because when you get the world record, you really have to have everything on display because of the process that it takes to get the world record. So um, I had enough room there. That's why I love your running out of space because right. that is an issue with a big collection. And I did have enough room there to have custom shelves made and have my entire collection there. And then I'm here six months of the year. So I still do YouTube videos here. So I did have to, a lot of these are duplicates. And then I did buy some more for, um, for Chicago, just so I could have the background for my videos. So you really need two locations for your full collection, don't you? <laughs> well, I just have the one for the full collection but I am literally running out of space and I'll probably have to have another shelf or two built. And I kind of knew that going into it, even though I very carefully figured out the size of the toys and how much space I would need. I knew that it would fill up very quickly. So uh, yeah, I'll probably need a few more shelves. Well, I guess the, the first question where we should start is why wind up toys? <laughs> yes, that is a good question. And it really happened by accident. I started collecting when I was 27, which is a long time ago. And I was actually on a ski trip in Vail, Colorado. And it was with, I was dating my husband at the time, and he was a big skier, and I'd never skied in my life. So he uh, I wanted to go on the ski trip with him. I figured if I'm going to be with him, I better learn how to ski. So he put me in this class called a never ever ski class. And I was 27. There were other young adults in the class, but I absolutely hated it. 
And so what I did is it's a full day class and they have a lunch break halfway through and I left, I just left the class at my lunch break. I'm like, I cannot stand doing this anymore. And I just ventured into the town and came across this adorable toy store. And I was just looking for a souvenir and there was this little wind up toy ski bunny. It's this little bunny on skis and it was so cute and I bought it. And I've always loved toys and I didn't have a great childhood where I really had a lot of opportunity to play with toys. So I really wanted to tap into that inner child. And I thought through toys was my best way to do it because I love playing. And that was really the start of the collection. And I would just, wherever I went and I saw a wind up toy, I would buy it. And it really wasn't my intention to start this huge collection, but it just, kind of turned into it accidentally. Did you have an affinity for wind-up toys when you were a child? Was it a, was it simply that it just spoke to you at the gift shop in Vail? It just simply spoke to me at the gift shop. I don't even remember wind-up toys from when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Even though I know some collectors who collect wind-up toys specifically, like from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And a big thing why people collect, and you probably know this, is to really hold on to their childhood and they don't. And it's really just, um, you know, not because I think uh, they're afraid of that just not being a part of life anymore. And so I do know somebody who specifically collects them just from the eighties, but quite honestly, I don't remember any of that when I was younger. Don't remember at all seeing wind up toys. So it was just really something that came later in life by accident. You know, it's funny. I've spoken with a lot of people and over time it has um, surfaced that a lot of collectors, their passion for whatever they're into stems from something in their formative years, their childhood or when they were younger or something like that. That's a very important time. A lot of people dismiss the youth as something that is, you know, childish and it, it really does carry forward into the adult years. And there are a certain type of people, collectors in general, that want to um, surround themselves in that. Um, I don't know if in my personal um, experience, if that is, um, if that's healthy or not, but for me, it's been very beneficial. And to every collector that I've ever spoken with, it's it's fulfilling for them to kind of add a new piece to their collection, to carry forward their collection, to meet other collectors. It's something that is, I mean, I don't want to get kind of clinical about it, but it's, it's very therapeutic in a way. Now with wind-up toys, what I find so special about them is that aha moment, that that one quick moment when you wind it up and you put it down where it's alive briefly it's like a quick it's like a trick that plays that's played on you that quickly goes away but there's that instant where that where you have that it's a live moment um which which something that that really sparks to me um and obviously the wind-up toy is ubiquitous there's a wind-up toy for everything um and every type which is something that calls for a collection so i could see how you would start that from seeing this bunny and carrying forward because it really is nonstop. I mean, does everything have a wind-up toy? 
Just about. Uh, it's amazing to me. When I first started collecting, there wasn't uh, online shopping. There wasn't eBay. So I simply found them in really unusual places, uh, just, you know, toy stores, obviously, but then also just gift shops, airports, amusement parks, uh, even like at a Bears game. I just, and that as collectors, I think that is something that's true to all of us is it's the thrill of the hunt. Mm -hmm. So what happened during COVID is I did start shopping online on eBay and I was amazed at there, like you said, there is a wind up toy for just about everything. I was seeing things on there. I had no idea there was a wind up toy for those. Mm -hmm. Like I have uh, I just got a collection of the Royals, you know, it's, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so cute. And so I picked those up and yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And the interesting uh, Halloween, there's seems to be, I must have close to a hundred that are just of Halloween. So holidays are also big. Robots are really big. Of course, the chattering teeth. There is literally a wind-up toy for every single thing you could think of. A hamburger, an ice cream cone, uh, a snail, a bug. I mean, it's just endless. So that's what makes it kind of fun, too. And what I like doing with my collection is I categorize them. Because I think, too, that the collection, to me, is art. And, I, you know, they're on my walls. And I just love organizing them. And I know some collectors, I organize them by type. Like I've got two whole shelves of just Disney. And I know some collectors that do it by color. So it, again, it, that's part of the collection and that can get very time consuming, uh, but it's fun. How do you yeah, get, so are you a collector? I'm I just am. curious. Are you a collector too? Cause I you're am. talking about collectors. Like you know a lot about them. What do you collect? So I collect comic books, I collect sneakers, I collect books, I collect artwork. Um, that's it right now. But it did start that's with it. childhood. It's, these are all things uh -huh. with childhood. But it started, see the thing with me is, is that it started, honestly, it started with stickers when I was a little boy and it just kind of progressed forward. Um, there was a time, I mean, even t-shirts. I, I, I think that's just my nature is that if I'm into something I want, a lot of it and I want all different types and I really want to find and hunt down the really special ones. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, I, I, it's just been a bug that, that bit me very early on. And um, yeah. eBay, eBay is definitely a place uh, that I frequent a lot. But with, with wind-up toys, um, because in my experience with eBay, you're more easily able to find a condition of something like a sneaker or like a comic book. They're very easy to um, identify the grade of. How do you do that with wind-up toys? They don't, it's not like they come in a package ever. They're usually in a toy store in a bin, right? Yeah, no, they do. Some do come in packages and in boxes. Like the tin ones, those come in boxes. And they do come in packages. It's interesting. There's but there are a lot that, like you said, they are in the bins. And there's one company in particular 
Z windups with California by California Creations. And part of their sales strategy is to put them in these bins. They've never been packaged right. because they think people will pick it up and play with it. So on eBay, I think some of the older ones, and like when I used to go to Toys R Us, which I don't even know if that exists anymore, those were in packages. Mm -hmm. And so it varies. So the ones on eBay, it's interesting. I bought some recently that were in packages and they were like from the 1980s, but they still didn't work, which I oh. thought was very interesting. Yeah, that was a big surprise for me. That was a letdown. Right. And uh, yeah, most of them though, I buy not packaged and you do have to really look carefully at the description to make sure that it's working yeah. because not all of mine work. And I think what happens is over time, like my first ski bunny doesn't work anymore. And a lot of them, I was actually quite surprised when I got my whole collection in one place about of how many actually don't work anymore. And I think it's just a sign of age. Of course, you can overwind them, you can drop them. You know, they're not generally, they're not like high quality items that, you know, have a lot of durability. Well, there's also like the great kitsch factor to wind up toys. I love that sort of stuff, um, the off the wall stuff. And by the way, I'm not trying to insinuate that collecting is all about mint condition. I'm just curious when it comes to eBay, especially because you don't want to get ripped off. There's a lot of shysters on eBay, especially preying on nostalgic people, preying on collectors and preying on enthusiastic people. So that was really where I, where I was coming from with that. I, I think... Um, the best sort of collectors aren't really in it for the money. And those are the kind of the ones that I like speaking with, because in a lot of ways, that's that's sort of me. I don't like to collect things for value. It's it's nice when those things appreciate, but it's overall for me, the display, how it looks. So when you're talking about your shelves and how you organize them, I'm, I'm looking behind you and I'm like, oh, like, for me, I would like assort them by color. I would assort them by type. It's it, it's endless. It, it's really really fun, and it's it, it it's a real it's a real piece of Americana, right? Is are the wind up toys an American invention? When where did the where did the wind up toy originate? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, originally, it was in the 15th century that they were invented, and they were invented by a German. Um, German clockmaker. And in 1509, Leonardo da Vinci actually created a windup as a greeting for Louis XII in Italy. And then what happened is in the 19th century, the cheaper, more mass produced windups were made for children. And then in the 1960s, the alkaline battery was invented. Huh. So a lot of people thought that would be the end of windup toys. And they did go down in popularity, but they're still really popular with collectors. And again, baby boomers that want to recapture their youth. Mm -hmm. So they do have an interesting history. Um, I was surprised to learn that, you know, in the 1500s, they were making windup toys. And it's really about the mechanism. And I think the fact that this German clockmaker invented the first one is because that's really what the mechanism is. It's really the inside of a clock. It's very simple. And that's why some of them are called clockwork toys. And it's also the same mechanism they use in music boxes. So, and that's one of the things that I like about them is the simplicity. Yes. And like you were saying earlier, it's just for that one moment when you wind it up and you just get that little spark. Um, it's just, it makes me happy. And that's really, 
my purpose of right now bringing it to YouTube and getting the world record is just to get some levity in our life and really to share my inspiration of fun and laughter and to get people to tap into their inner child. You know, I think in adulthood, we just lose that and we forget to play and just laugh and leave all that stuff aside. So, you know, it's just, again, winding it up even for a second and just showing how funny it's, I just think they're funny and, and fun. Some of them, not so much. I have a lot of bugs that I don't think are funny. And a lot of them, uh, I don't buy. It's not like, I don't buy every single toy I see. It really has to speak to me. So I have passed up a lot of toys just because I don't like it. So it's not really, it didn't start out as I want to get as many as I can. That's not really my intention. I have to really like the toy. It really has to, you know, light me up and make me laugh. Yeah, and it's it's universal and it is timeless. I have a daughter, she's, she's almost seven, but when she was very young, I had the chattering teeth and she loved it. It's, it's yeah, no, you're right. I get comments from people. And when I was starting my YouTube channel, I was like, I'm not really sure who my audience is. And it seems to be, interestingly enough, it's like that baby boomer age. But yeah. then I get comments from adults that say, oh my goodness, my five-year-old loves your channel. They love the toys. So it really is very universal. And that's another thing that I love about it. Everybody can relate to it. And you spoke about this earlier. Has the technology, has the mechanism inside changed at all? Is it still kind of the same? It's still the same. Oh. Uh, the company I was talking about, the Z Windups, they did take it like to the next level where their toys are translucent, most of them. And so you could actually see the inside and they do other things like they're like I have, um, I have all their toys. I love their toys. So they would have like a monkey for example, jumping rope and his ears would move. So in addition to the action of the toy, there's also parts of them that move. So they've taken it to the next level uh, and made it, a, they consider it more complicated, but really bottom line is the same mechanism that they've been using, you know, since 1500. Tried and true, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess if it works, right? I mean, they haven't done anything that I know of to upgrade or make it any better. And I guess there's no reason to. I think that's part of the beauty of it. Uh huh. Okay, so let's get to it. How did the Guinness thing come about? Were you amassing all of these and you decided, okay, let's kind of contact the people at Guinness? Did somebody contact you? Please walk me through that. Yes, it's a great story, actually. Um, I don't know, it just something that popped in my head. I was like, wow, I'm getting so many of these. Wouldn't that be cool to get a Guinness World Record? I looked into it in 2012 and I first you apply, you actually have to uh, ask for an application first and you get that approved. You have to say what you want your record to be. And then they approve your application and they tell you what record, what record you have to break if there already is one. And mine was, I had to break um, 1,048 was the record at the time. And then the process is once you get your application, um, but going back to 2012, when I got it, it wasn't online at the time. So I had to print everything out or they sent, they sent me the package. It was like this thick. 
and the evidence you have to provide and what you have to go through and witnesses and pictures and documentation. And in 2012, I said, there is no way. I am just not going to have the time to do this. It, that to me is not fun, like to take a picture of over a thousand toys, just not right. my thing. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to hire somebody or get you know a college kid in or something like that. So I really just put it off, put it off. And then it was really, the impetus was really COVID. And at that point, I had the time. And so I first started out and really what happened is I thought I've been collecting these toys, you know, for a good part of my life. And I didn't give it much thought. And I was on, again, during COVID, I joined all these different communities. And one of them, when I told them I collected wind-up toys, it was like one of those things where what's something people don't know about you? People like went crazy. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal because it was just a part of my life. And they're like, oh my gosh, you should start a YouTube channel and you should share that with people. And I thought, yeah, you know, it's like right in front of me. And I never thought about sharing it with other people. So, and then they really encouraged me to go for that Guinness World Record. So I started a YouTube channel first. Then I decided I reapplied again and decided to really do it in earnest because I had the time because it really is a full-time project. So what's involved, you know, I think everyone knows they have Guinness World Records for everything, but specifically in collections, they have certain evidence you have to provide and there's certain guidelines. So when they approve my application, they specified what qualifies as a wind-up toy. Yes. So then... I had to take a picture of, I didn't actually, my husband, God bless him, took a picture of every single toy. Then I had to create documentation for every single toy. So I had to match up every toy. I had a spreadsheet made where I gave a description of the toy, where it was sourced, if I knew the information. And any description I could provide. So what I did to make it easier for me is I had categories. Like I would have Disney, I would have penguins, I would have, uh, you know, the Simpsons, whatever it was. So then I would have like Disney, you know, Mickey Mouse clock and things like that. Then after all that, you have to have two witnesses come out and do a count of all your toys. So because it was COVID, uh, I hired somebody from Guinness to be one of my witnesses. And we actually did it on FaceTime. So I had to go through every shelf and they had one of those little counters that they were going through. Then I had to have a witness who was an expert in the industry. I found somebody, so this is all in LA. I found somebody who was the vice president of a toy store in LA. She had been there like 35 years. So she came out. So I had to get her approved that she was an expert witness. She came out, she did a count. I had to have a video recording of her counting it. She had to sign a document saying how many toys there were and what her accreditation was. Then I sent all of my evidence into Guinness and the person that I was working with, she went through it all and she had some questions for me. Then it had to go on to a panel of adjudicators and they came back with some more questions and I had to go through the process of, you know, proving whatever it was they were asking for. The most frustrating thing about, first of all, it was just, 
it was unbelievable how much time it took to do this. And the final, what was the most frustrating part of this is so now I had four counts of, I had the expert witness, I had Guinness and I had my own count. Then I also had the count on my spreadsheet. None of them matched. I had four different counts, none of them matched. So it was like, just to go through that, I was up probably for five nights just figuring out where, what went wrong, what's the real count. And that was the hardest part of it. And ultimately it's up to Guinness what the real count is. So finally it all matched up. There was something interesting. So my world record is 1,258 toys, but I really had closer to 1,300 because I had about 18 toys that they considered X-rated and they wouldn't include those in the count, even though they're considered wind-up toys according to their definition. And then after that, um, it gets again approved by this whole team of people and then you get the world record. And so it's not as easy as just like calling up and saying, oh, I've got the world record. I mean, it's a huge process. And I know there are people out there that have messaged me that have said, you know, I've got 3000 wind-up toys. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And then they also say, I have no intention of getting the world record. Um, but if they wanted to, they could beat my record. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, I'm obviously still collecting. So since I got the record March 30th, and since then, I've probably accumulated about 200 more toys. And so I continue documenting them. So if somebody else breaks my record and I want to break it again, uh, other people have actually broken their own record, which I don't really see any value in that, but I am keeping track of my new ones. So if I ever have to break somebody else's record, it'll be a lot easier for me to you know, go through the whole process. But you're in the books. That's fantastic. Congratulations. I'm in the book. And that's the other thing. So just because you get the record, is no guarantee you're going to get in the book. I mean, they're really two different things. Uh -huh. And I did, the book just came out a couple of weeks ago and I am in there. Uh, so I was very excited about that because like I said, not everybody gets in there. So that's a big deal. So I have my certificate and I'm in the book. Can you believe that a botched ski lesson led you to being <laughs> the record? It's unbelievable. Isn't what it crazy? Yeah, like tell... It's been quite a journey, it seems like, from yes. just browsing some gift shop in Vail and getting a tchotchke <laughs> to now you're, you have a legacy. Yeah, I, I never would have imagined that it would turn into this at all. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that evolved over time. I never, even when I started collecting, it was just like, I never thought about it being a collection right. until I really started amassing more than I had room for. And then it reached a point where I was like, okay, go for it. Now it's a collection. Now it's more like shopping in earnest. And to me, that's the most fun. And that's why the whole eBay thing wasn't as fun for me because it is the thrill of the hunt and just finding them and it's amazing that even today, I recently was in a toy store just a few weeks ago in LA that somebody told me about, I found 27 wind-up toys that I had never seen and that I don't have, which is incredible because people want to give them to me as gifts. 
And, you know, usually nine times out of 10, I already have the toy, which is fine because I keep my duplicates and then I'll give the little kids. So it's kind of fun. Um, do you want to give a shout out to the toy shops? Because there are some great ones in Los Angeles. Yes. Wacko is uh -huh. so cool. Yes. It's not just toys. Are you familiar with it? Of course. Of course. It's awesome. Yes. So, of course, it's like world famous, I guess. Yeah. So I went there, that was um, fabulous. I have to give a shout out to Tom's Toys mm -hmm. in uh, Beverly Hills and oh, I know they have one. two other locations. I know, you know Tom's, Beverly well, she's, yeah. yeah, she's the one that came out and she was my witness. Amazing. So the vice president of that. So I love Tom's Toys. Uh, there's a store in Chicago called Toy Du Jour and it's actually a consignment toy store that has a lot of retro stuff. I uh, have not been in there. I've got to get in there like in the next week or two. Uh, so those are the toy. Oh, there's one in Whitefish, Montana, of all places. I go there every year. My stepson lives there. Every year I find new wind-up toys. And there's actually on my YouTube channel, I have a, both Tom's Toys and it's called Imagination Station in Whitefish. I actually have both of those tours on my YouTube channel. Uh, so those are, Wacko's probably my new favorite because it was just, they have like a little section that's just wind-up toys. And to find that many wind-up toys that I don't have is shocking because I have so many. Yeah, they are, they curate quite a nice shop over there. Um, I, yeah, where are you? I'm in are Los Angeles. I, yes, I live in the San Fernando Valley. I've lived here for 20 years and Wacko was one of the first places when I transplanted from New York. I'm originally from Miami, but when I came to LA, people who knew me, the first thing they said is, oh, you have to go check out Wacko. And it's one of the reasons oh, why I love best. Los Angeles. Yeah, there was, another toy, I, there was another toy shop and comic book shop that's gone now that was the same way called Meltdown, but they didn't have wind-up stuff. They were more like a comic shop, but Wacko for, is great for that kind of subversive and dare I say retro stuff, but it's also kind of the, the kitschier stuff, but it's all really, yes. really cool. Like it's the hard to find stuff. I mean, I could just go in there for hours, which I did. Uh, there's, um, oh, there was another one I was gonna mention. Um, okay, uh, what was it? I can't remember right now, but, oh, there's one in Brentwood and Malibu and the third one, I don't know, I can't think of the name right now, Toy Crazy? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if you're familiar. With, you're going to have to give me some names of places in LA because I'll be going out there in it's, a few weeks. Yeah. Wacko is the best. That. Because um, yeah. there's a lot of, there, there, there are, there's probably a, some ones deep in the valley that deal with kind of vintage kitsch and retro sort of stuff. Um, but, and some names kind of elude me at the moment. But offline, yeah. I'll, if I remember any, I'll let you know. But um, I want to get back to the- Yeah, and there's an yeah. In, just one more thing, getting sure. back to the stores. There used to be in LA, uh, <clears throat> this was awesome, uh, Paul, it was a store called Wound and Wound. And oh, that's wow. all it was, was wind-up toys. Maybe. And I look them up all the time. And they were, they moved and they were in Universal Studios and they're not there anymore, so- um, but yeah, definitely let me know. Uh, I know there's an antique mall in Sherman Oaks and they sometimes have some. I live right by that antique mall. Oh, oh we'll have to meet. 
yeah. When yeah. I'm out there, I'll be out there all winter. Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, you know, um, before uh, I became a father, my wife and I, before we became parents, we would, um, you know, a big part of what we like to do is go um, um, flea market hunting and a lot yeah. of stuff that, that antique mall i don't want to let the secret out but that's a really good good antique mall right there. we found a <laughs> yeah. lot of things from there but back to guinness so yes how has that affected your life how has becoming a, a world a guinness world record holder kind of affected you is it a talking point when you meet people is that how you're introduced is that a big part of your identity now how how has that kind of played out for you it is, and it is definitely one of the things, you know, especially when people talk about COVID and I'm like, well, here's a silver lining. Here's something I did. And it's interesting. So when I tell people, it's like, wow, you know, that is so cool. Most people don't know any Guinness World Record holders. I've come across a couple that say, yeah, I knew one. And then, uh, and it is like my YouTube channel, I definitely, you know, I have it all over promoted and all my social media, but it's interesting that I thought that I would capitalize on it more than I have. And I thought this would really um, turn into something and not as much as I thought. And I think once you talk about it with somebody, it's like, okay, you know, it's kind of over, you know, like you talk about it a little bit get into the process a little bit, um, but that's it. So I'm not sure it's made as big of a change for me in terms of, um, I don't wanna say influencer, cause I'm definitely not an influencer, but being more known, I guess, on social media. I didn't get a lot of press like from Guinness, uh, which I thought I might, and some other places that, you know, we've submitted some things to. So, but it's not to say, you know, it's not yet is kind of how I'm looking at it. It's a process. And I think you just have to get to that right person. And you're really in, turn the, into something. you're in the club. Do they have events for record holders? Have you met other record holders? Is there a social circle? No, but I've thought of creating one because right. there isn't. And I've talked to a lot of collectors as you have. And definitely, I think, it's want it like we want that. And I'm like, I should just create that community because I think there's a lot of us that would be interested in that. And we all have, I also did a video just on collectors and why people collect yes. and what are the traits of collectors. And so I would love to create a community um, of collectors. And, you know, I have an affinity toward toys mm -hmm. specifically, not just wind up toys. But again, it's that collector mentality. Yeah. Are there, um, you mentioned this earlier, but do you have any, uh, and this is highly dramatic, but forgive me, <laughs> any arch nemesis out there? You mentioned somebody who's hot on your tails, who says they have 3,000 toys. Are there people that are actively trying to beat you in the wind-up toy game? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. There have been two people that have told me that they have more than mm -hmm. I have. And again, it's like, yeah, I'm sure you do. And if you want to get the world record, go for it. But nobody, it's not like a race to get there. I think it's just more of a camaraderie thing. Yeah. Like you have this many, I have this many. The other thing with Guinness is they each have to be unique. Like I have duplicates, so you can't count the duplicates. And I think some of the people that are telling me, because I have talked to one of them, 
who thinks, you know, he's got 3000. Well, a lot of them, because I've seen his collection, a lot of them are duplicates. So if you wanted to get a world record, and if I said I included all my duplicates, I'd probably have 3000 also. So it's very specific to get that world record. So as far as I know, you know, it's, it's a pretty friendly group. I think we're all, you know, um, it's not like we're after something. And my, and I think I said this before, my intention was never to get like the most wind up toys. And it just kind of turned into that. Is there a Holy grail that you're still searching for when it comes to wind up toys? No, no, not really. Because again, I'm not that kind of collector. I think most collectors are, they're searching for that one. And I just, kind of get them as I see them maybe a little bit more now that I'm on eBay and you get that you know adrenaline going when you see one it's like oh my gosh now I have to get that one Mm -hmm. so I have some of that but there's not like one in particular that I'm searching for um well what's which one's your favorite is it still the bunny your first one it is uh I think it Yes. I'm not going to say it's like my favorite toy because I have so many others that I love because of what they are and what they do. But I think because it's the most sentimental, it has the most meaning that I have to say it is my favorite. And you said it didn't work anymore, right? It doesn't work. And the bunny had on its chest, it said veil. That's worn off now. And it's kind of yellowed. Again, these are not high quality. You know, they're made out of plastic and so over the years, and yeah, I was very disappointed when I pulled it out uh, for all my Guinness World Record work that it didn't work. It was kind of sad. But I also have several other ski bunnies made out of that same mold. And they're not necessarily bunnies. I think, um, uh, who knows, one's like a monkey or something. And so I probably have three or four more mm-hmm. that fit in the skier category. And again, then I have Ronald McDonald skiing. I have Snoopy skiing. I have a tin skier. It's just endless. That's fantastic. What is there a, is there a, is there a rarest wind-up toy? Would you have to go to the 1500s to find, Um, track that down? Well, yeah, I don't know if those exist any longer. I do know, well, from this research was done in 2019, that there's a Mickey Mouse wind-up organ grinder and it sold at an auction in 2019 for $10,000. Wow. So as far as I know, that is the most expensive wind-up toy out there. And if you look at those from, you know, back in, uh, you know, that was probably, because the first modern wind-up toys, they really became popular in the 70s. So toys that were more like, you know, going way back when they were invented, they're very different. I mean, and they're great. They're all made out of tin or, and I have a couple of them and they're, it's, it's just different. They just look different. The mechanism is a little more elaborate in what they can do. A lot of drummers. I think that was one of the most popular ones. There's one with boxers in a ring. And when they first started back, in the 1500s, they were originally just for the very wealthy aristocrats. I mean, that's who they were made for. And it wasn't until much later that they became popular for kids. Yeah, there is something godly about having the ability to wind something up and see it move, right? I mean, you're kind of playing, (laughs) you're playing like the high great one 
uh, yeah. minute. You know, so I get, yeah. I, I can see how kind of a royal would kind of want to do that. In control, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something unique that nobody else can have. Yeah. Now I've got a couple toys here that were actually made by the Lionel train company huh. and they were actually had tracks, but they're wind up toys. And those are from 1935. Wow. So those are like the 1920s, probably 1930s mm-hmm. is when the more elaborate ones were made and the the tin, and they actually made a lot of noise because they're tin. You know, now the noise is just kind of that winding noise. But some of mine do make noise. Um, this was actually kind of funny. About a month ago, I was in LA and we had a little earthquake. And of course, my first thought when there's an earthquake is my wind up toys, but my shelves have little lips on them. So hopefully they won't fall. But it was so funny. Um, of course, I looked at my toys right away. And one of them, he made a sim. He played as cymbals, yeah. with, you know, just from the earthquake. I mean, it was so funny. And so I did hear that cymbal noise. Uh, just, you know, he was obviously still had some wind up left in him. He wasn't completely unwound. I love that wind up sound. There's something very soothing yes. about it. Maybe it's a childhood thing. I think so. <laughs> and there's actually some YouTube videos. That's all they do is the sound. They don't <laughs> even show the toys. So people, uh, yeah. What do your loved ones? What do your loved ones think of your collection? They think it's so cool. So I have kids that are 28 and 25 and 24. uh, And I'm like, are you like embarrassed that your mother's on TikTok and you know Instagram and YouTube with her toys? They're like, no, we think that's so cool. Uh, Maybe when they were younger, they would have thought that it was embarrassing, but everyone that yeah my loved ones my family my friends everyone thinks it's so cool because I think it's so unexpected like people that know me I think they didn't know this about me that I had this really fun loving child side to me because you know I was like a corporate executive and um, just did things in my life that were more serious and I think it's so unique and I think people think like wow that is like something that people don't do. And it's just makes me unique. Now there's the other side to it where I tell people and they're like, Oh my goodness, you should talk to so-and-so, you know, they've got this huge collection of whatever. And um, so there's both sides to it. And then I think too, when collectors meet each other and I have a friend, we had no idea that we were both collectors. And now it's just turned into like, it's brought our friendship closer so it's a really, really cool thing that I think people, uh, I think they actually respect me for it because it it's just something so unique. Yeah, there is something to it, which is why I started this podcast to begin with, because it really doesn't matter what you collect. You bec- When you meet another collector, it's like you have instant kind of a simpatico with them because mm-hmm. you understand where they're coming from. You understand... Um, the hunt, you understand the mission that they're on. Um, it's a really kind of, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real noble pursuit. I mean, this is coming from somebody who is a collector. People who don't collect probably see it as hoarding, which I do too in a way, but not in a destructive way. Um, but yeah, there is something when you meet another collector, there is that spark. There is that connection that you have because you have a, an understanding. Um, is there, is there advice that you would give to somebody that 
thinks that it's childish or thinks that they it's a daunting task or thinks that to collect things that has to be expensive. Uh, do people ask you, do they say, you know, I was always thinking of starting this thing because I love this when I was younger, but I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm XYZ age now. I don't want to go back and do that. Is that a childish thing? Do you have people like that, that kind of um, look to you? Yes. Yeah, so the collector I was just telling you about, who's a friend of mine and we didn't know that we collected, her husband thinks it's ridiculous. Right. You know, he's just like, that is so childish. I don't know why you do that. And then, of course, I'm coming in with my big spiel of, yeah, you know, you need to let loose. He's so tightly wound. It's like, oh, pun intended, right? Tightly wound. Anyway, um, and I just, I don't get it. Like why people wouldn't want to collect. I mean, I am. And yeah, so there are people that just don't get it. They just think it's childish or clutter. And there are some people that are so neurotic about, um, you know, keeping, I don't know, they're minimalist, whatever. And I am too, but my collection is a whole different thing. And people have asked me like about collecting and starting a collection. And the advice that I give them is, first of all, like, don't force it. You know, it has to be something that you love that speaks to you. And really, what is your intention for collecting? It's like, do you want the most valuable? Do you want to seek out the rarest of stamps or whatever it is that you're collecting? And where are you, what are you going to do with them? You know, are you going to collect them and then put them in a box? Um, you know, my, my sister collects postcards. And I just talked to her the other day about it. And they're in a box. You know, she never did anything with them. So to me, that's not really fun. Uh, I think I would tell people it has to be something fun that you're going to enjoy. And that uh, I think to me, it's the fun. Yeah. Um, and I know some people just take it very seriously. My late husband was a train collector. And to him, it was more about getting something that nobody else had or getting the rarest toy, the rarest train. And that's fine. You know, there's just different kinds of collectors. But for me, I would tell people, just do something that you're gonna have fun with. Um, you know, I know a lot of art collectors and that's, they collect very expensive art. I think that's different. I also, I'm an art collector, I love art. Uh, so that gets to, but then I know people that are art collectors that love black and white photography. So it really runs the gamut, but I would just say it shouldn't be a forced thing. Yeah. It should just be something that you truly enjoy doing or, or having. It's such a wonderful talking point when you go into somebody's home. I mean, I know we haven't been in each other's houses or if you have small pods during this, this moment in time. Um, but when you're in some a collector's home and you see their stuff, even if you're not into that, it's always very vibrant it brings something unique to the abode and it's a, it's a conversation starter um now to your point of like keeping things in a box i struggle with this because with comic books you want to keep them in a box and many times people have asked me after spending you know a certain amount of money on a comic a lot you know so oftentimes you know a, a considerable amount they say yeah but you're just going to put them in a box and my response to that is like yes but i know that i have it and that's kind of where I come from a lot of times with collectors, with collecting, is that self-satisfaction. So it really um, yeah. struck a core with me when you spoke about the fun aspect of it, because 
it really should start as fun. You for a lot of the mm-hmm. best collections that I've ever seen and my own experiences, it doesn't start as a collection. It just starts as you see something. It's like, oh, I really like this. I'm I'm gonna get this. It starts with uh, a botched ski lesson, and you're in you're in a tchotchke shop, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I love this. I'm right. gonna get this. And then you just gradually over time, and then the next thing you know, you have a whole bunch, and then all of a sudden it's a collection. It's it's really a wonderful thing, and a lot of people don't know that they're collectors when they're clearly in uh, the activity of collecting when they're when they're clearly in the motions. Exactly. And what you were saying about walking into someone's home. So in LA, where my whole collection is, it, you walk in and it's the first thing you see. And there is not one person who has walked into my apartment who said, wow, every single person, that's the reaction. And then we get wrapped up in that for a half hour. Yeah. You know, before we even do anything else, even, you know, people that are coming in to, you know, clean my air ducts or whatever it is, it's just, wow, or I have to bring my grandson to see these. Yes. And then the whole story starts. And, and then we start playing with them. Yes. And that's the other beauty of it. I'll just be like in my dining room doing whatever, and I'll just take one off the shelf and I'll just wind it up. And I'm like, oh, that was fun. You know, it's just something that's always there. And it definitely is part of your home and you're decorating and it definitely gets a lot of attention whenever I have guests over. So can we play a little short show and tell with, with the stuff on your shelf behind you? What do you have? I've actually picked out a few. Oh, cool. Well, I picked out a few because I was hoping you would do this. So what I love, so my favorites are some of my favorites are the ones that don't just walk but they do other things because okay. I think that's also what people think. So let me see if you can see these actually in action. Like a Paul Frank. See this guy. Okay. Like a- it, yes. And this is a uh, sock monkey uh-huh. and this is a Z windup. So you can see the inside a little bit. You can see the plastic gears mm-hmm. and it jumps rope and its ears move. So let's see if he's going to cooperate here. You can see him. It's alive. (laughs) It's alive and he's jumping rope. And let me show you another one from Z windups. By the way, that's really well made. That that Paul Frank one's really well well made. Is it licensed Paul Frank or is it like just a sock? Uh, No. Well, not that I know of. It's uh, Z windups has everything is under their name. And he's actually in California too. He's not making windups anymore because during COVID, uh, business was not so good. You're kidding. Uh, this is also, nah, I know, it's really sad. People are, at Wacko, they told me that um, they're really hard to get now. People just aren't making them anymore. So oh, it's no. kind of sad. Yeah, and the ones, the newer ones are very cheaply made. You know, they're a little disappointing. But this one, uh, this is Trixie, the twister, and he names all of them. And this is, so he's got like three different dancing collections and she's one of the twisters. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that's so fun. Again, not just a walker. Um, Now I mentioned that I just got the collection of the Royals. Yes. So here's one, this is the queen. And what I love about these, first of all, just, the detail of the face, kind of a caricature of the Royals. And 
that she waves her hand as she's walking. That's, you know, it's just so classic and so funny. Yeah. It really so is are, It really is an art, what? isn't it? It really is an it art is. form. Yes. Yeah. And then can I show you, um, I wanted to show you the older ones I have from yes. 1935. Yes. So this is the one from Lionel. It's um, Peter Rabbit, Chick Mobile. Uh -huh. And the key goes here. I don't want to wind it up just because it's sure. so old. And, but the, it kind of goes back and forth. It's a hand car. And then this is one of my favorites because I love Disney so much. And this is Donald oh. Duck and Pluto. Yeah, this one's really cool. And it does have the key. And this is Donald Duck hand car. And again, it's by Lionel. Where did and, you get that? Yeah. So I was telling you about my husband who was the train collector. Yes. So this was at a train show because it's Lionel. And it actually did come with a track. And I looked these two up recently on YouTube. And it's really, you find these on auction houses more yep. than you do on YouTube. And they were selling for about $700. Mm -hmm. And which is, he probably paid a long time ago, probably around 500. So it hasn't really increased in value too much. And I don't have the box and I don't have the track. Mm -hmm. So that's just for the toy. And of course, if you have the box and the track, it's worth more money. Now, uh, without so talking- Those are some that I just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Without talking numbers, I don't like to get into that. Um, is that the most expensive one that you have? Probably, probably. Most of my toys, and again, this is what I love about wind-ups. They're so accessible. Yes. They're like six dollars. Yes. You know, and, and and again, I won't, I'm not one of those collectors that will spend seven hundred dollars on a wind-up toy. Or there's one at Wacko, there's like three at Wacko that are like three hundred dollars. And I'm like, mm, that's just not me. That's not part of my collection, even though I have to say I was tempted. Yeah, uh, it was pretty cool. It was from Star Wars and it was pretty cool. Yeah. But I'm the most I've probably spent on a wind up toy, maybe $60. Yeah, you know, definitely less than 100. And yeah, those are probably my most valuable. I think I have a few that are maybe worth about $200. And those are the older ones. And I have like one in particular. It's I think it's plastic, but like squishy plastic. And then it's dressed in like felt and fur and different materials. So that one's really cool. Um, but yeah, those are probably my most expensive. Again, that's not my intention. It's not about the value. It's just sure. more about the fun and yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wanna touch upon something. These wind-up toys, they really are like canvases. You have the mechanism that's kind of the same standard thing and, but the shell and the, the body of the wind-up toy really kind of becomes an art form in the sense of what, what it can represent, um, what, you can, what you can make out of that. It's very much, it's almost like, I was talking about this with a Stephen King collector, talking about how the paperback, I was, I was expressing how much I love paperback books and the paperback paintings and how, um, the paperback novel is like a canvas in a way for a certain type of painting. With a wind-up toy, it is kind of a canvas for a certain type of likeness, for a certain type of art form. And maybe that's why they've endured so long, and maybe that's why there are so many of them, because there can be so many of them. And it's really endless what you can do with them. Yeah, that's very true. And like, 
you were saying like, for example, this one and all the Z windups, I mean, he takes it very seriously and makes them more than just a windup toy, but just the windup toys are, you know, just as cute. You know, like I've got, oh, this is another favorite. I have these, a lot of robots and this one, uh, when it gets to the edge of the table, it doesn't fall off. Uh, It like turns and, you know, so, you know, a robot, but yet it does something unexpected. And you're right, you can, and that's another thing, like people have said to me, why don't you start designing them and making them have a wind up toy company and everyone's giving me requests of what they wanted. And you could, you could make anything into a wind up toy. I mean, I have flowers, you know, and the, it twirls around and it really, somebody can request something and you can make it. So that is the beauty. Again, I consider it art in yes. many ways. It's a vessel of expression for sure. I totally agree. Yes. I see it. I see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have all your friends and family constantly sending you photos of like, do you have this one? Do you want this one? Is that kind of the thing now? Um, occasionally, you know, you don't see him that often, but yes, I do get that. As a matter of fact, you, you may know him. <clears throat> he's in LA. He's in the Valley. Uh, his name, I have to look up his last name. His name is Justin and he's a big collector and he's connecting me with some people in LA. And again, we had no idea. I just met him because he's my cousin's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And when I told him that I collected, he's like, oh, you know, he's the one that took me to Wacko uh-huh. and we go crazy. Uh, I totally forgot what your question is. I went off on a tangent here, but. <laughs> Friends and family sending yeah. you, sent oh, yeah. random shops asking if you want this one. Do you have that? Is that yeah. something? Like- he does all the time. It's yeah. something that keeps he you connected. me done all the time. Sure. Right? It's Absolutely. Like- yes. Yeah. 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 I guess I don't get it as often only because there just aren't that many out there. And I think people, I find them in the weirdest places. Like they're just kind of hidden. And so I think if you're not specifically looking for it, you're not going to really see it. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, Yeah. Thank you. I guess the final question I want to know is how is, how is um, collecting wind up toys affected your life? What is your takeaway from this endeavor? It's made it a lot more fun. Uh, That's really the key is I've just suffered a lot of tragedies and losses in my life. And I think uh, what I've learned from that is you really have to look at what you don't have, uh, what you have instead of what you don't have. And just that um, because I missed so much of my childhood, I had to grow up so fast. I'm just like, what's the point of being here if we're not going to have fun? So that's always been a big thing for me is just fun. And that's the biggest change. And just, um, yeah, it's something different. I like doing things that most people don't do. And this is definitely one of them. And just the fun factor and that I could share it with other people. You know, until I really started doing YouTube and the Guinness World Record, I hadn't shared it with anybody. And that's been part of the fun and the excitement is now that all these people know about it and they think it's so cool and fun. And you were asking me before about, you know, people asking me about collections. And yeah, a friend of mine recently, when I told her just again, thought it was so cool. She started collecting windups. 
Um, but, you know, very specifically, she was looking for tin windups and now I think she's focused just on cars. Uh, so again, it's sharing that with other people and she's going through a hard time right now. I'm like, this is great. Like I've given her something and to do that lights her up and that's fun. So I think that's really the biggest part is the fun and sharing the fun with other people. I love it. Marla, thank you so much. This was so nice talking with you and, and I, I love this collection. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you, Adam. This has been great. Thank you so much. Oh.